Hey, it's me. <laughs> oh, geez, I answered that as if so, I thought someone was at the door. Hi, it's Jake. It's on. I'm going to turn the, the music is off, and we're starting. It's people who are listening to this are listening, and it's happening. So I'm here. It's episode 217. I know that. Oftentimes, I don't know what episode it is, but today I do. Everyone, thank you for being here. And my guest today is returning guest from episode 196, which I also know, which is another thing that I cannot know sometimes. So Caitlin Bailey is here today, and uh, let's start off by plugging some gigs that you might have. Do you have any gigs coming up that you want to plug? I have a gig tonight, but I don't know where. Uh, You're somewhere tonight, but you don't know where. I don't know where. No, that's in my, I have it written down in my book. I don't know where I'm performing it's, okay, well, it's, that's great. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Ju- I'm just focused on plugging the podcast. I haven't. I like. I have. I have bar gigs and stuff, but it's not. I'm not. My. Uh, I'm not touring right now because I've got two of the cake girls are pregnant, and then we haven't gotten sex worker stand up off the ground yet. So that is yeah. <laughs> a lot for us to talk about. Two, <laughs> two of the cake girls are pregnant. Right. What does that even mean, everybody? What's We're gonna find out. <laughs> And uh, what, what, and then... Uh, Sex Workers Stand Up is the next tour that I want to do. Um, and, and people want to go see that. Yeah, it's been, it was really cool. We did a show in New York and we did a show in Seattle. And so there's like a like proof of concept. Like it's a really fun show uh, where we'll be hooking up with a sex worker rights charity every town that we go to. And then elevating uh, people in stand up who have done sex work. And there are a ton. One of them. And, and wait, what is that going to be called? I'm going to turn it's called on the underlying music again, just because this is a good yeah. quote. It's, <laughs> sex workers stand up. Sex workers stand up. Yep, so it's sex workers doing stand up. Or stand ups who have done sex work doing stand up. <laughs> Standing up for sex workers. But we're not, it's a comedy show. It's it is not a, a it's stand up. Nobody's it's sta- having sex. No Nobody's sex. Watching. You can have. I always say that I hope that everyone will have sex when they go home after my show. Yeah, that's what absolutely. I like. Yeah. I'd like to get a hundred percent, but I, you know, you never know. Um, so Don't I've you got feel a like couple. Somebody's capitalizing on your flirting, though. You know what I mean? Like I've heard that because it's like you're you're making the girls like. With your verbal acumen and your hilarious well, insight. It's, it's, I don't like to take too much credit. I mean, there's still quite a lot of work to do. But people do say what they like in a guy is someone who makes them laugh. Right. And so I can do that. And then, yeah, you can take credit for that. Yes. If you brought a female to the show. Or maybe she's just come along because she knows that you need some help. Right. But anyway, I'm happy to help. I don't want to, I don't want to take any credit. I, see, I, I, do, I want you to have a good time. I have the opposite response. I feel like if I am, like, my most successful stand-up show will result in, like, a sex strike of all the women in the audience being like, no, fuck you. Go map out the clitoris and then come back weeks from now when you're done studying. Okay, well, we I want us to get to again. that. I want us to get to the clitoris map because uh, this sounds like an episode of Harry Potter that I really wish I had seen. Um, so my, I want to, I want to say I'm going to be in Sanford. I'm going to be in uh, Melrose Improv here in uh, LA on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to be in San Francisco at the punchline. The, uh, I think it's the 7th, 8th and 9th of December. So go on the internet and get a ticket to that. If you, if you are in the mood to obey me. And then email you the dates, right? So that you know where you're supposed to be. Well, I'll figure them out. Let's figure them out together, but I'm pretty sure they're available on the internet. You can find out, but I think it's the 7th, 8th and 9th of December. Okay. So that's all happening. And now we're doing, now we're doing this podcast and I want people to listen to your podcast. Well, you're so much a part of the reason that I started it. I mean, it's like, I want to give you full credit where credit's due. I mean, like, you know, the... The last time I was supposed to come on and my nightmare 
Well, so you that, had had, okay, so your podcast is called The Oldest Profession yes. Podcast, and you, you can also check it out on Twitter as The Old Pro Podcast, is it's, right? Yeah, it's Old Pro Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our website is theoldestprofessionpodcast.com. And it's a podcast about mm-hmm. the history of sex workers. Yeah. And also, it includes uh, you and your co-host, your Caitlin Bailey, and your and co-host is Wendy, Wendy Starling. Starling. And includes you guys telling stories from your life mm-hmm. at, as sex workers. Yeah. And, and then there's all different aspects of that. Yes. And so people should check that out. You were saying, you were giving, you were nicely giving me some credit because the last time you were in town, you were going to come and be on my podcast. But at 11 a.m. And you had a terrible <laughs> day the day before yes. where you were meeting with someone to tell them about this, this idea. As a, as a television show idea. Right. And so we were pitching the show, but... Uh, they wanted me to sign what I think in, in retrospect was like a pretty predatory like shopping agreement where they wanted like two thirds of the idea to go to these, these dudes. And like, I don't mean, I know that the, like, you know, misandry right now with like the Louis C.K. scandal and the Harvey Weinstein stuff, it's like all the rage. But I like, want to get to that too. We, we, we should talk about it, but like as a young woman in entertainment, it just felt wrong to immediately be partnering with people that looked more like my clients and less like the sex workers whose voices and stories I wanted to elevate. Yes. Like, we had enough dude perspective on this for all of human history. So I wanted to work with uh, with women and other sex workers and stuff like that. But in order to go to this meeting, I had to sign this contract. So I just didn't sign the contract. Which was very brave. And Thank you. you had a very powerful emotional reaction to standing up for yourself. I got real because, drunk. Because it feels like... The end of the world. It feels like you're getting off the luxury cruise. Yes! It yeah. feels like you're getting off the boat, and I totally got that. Yeah, it feels like you're just jumping off. Yeah. And I and and so what you did was you went home and you had some drinks with your friend. Yeah, but and you I missed the podcast. Bron- Bronston and Gino Biscotti, who was at her dangerous drinking buddies to begin with, because there there's no slowing them down at all. But um, I figured since I was only I I slept over at their house, knowing that it was a close commute to your place, like an eight minute mm-hmm. drive, and then I didn't set an alarm because eleven a.m. You know, Who on with the wake up West Coast. That's a, it's one p.m. two p.m. my time. Right? I woke up at 4 p.m. West Coast time. You thought I'd died. I was a little worried about you, but it turned out that mm-hmm. what had happened was you stood up for yourself mm-hmm. and you experienced a, 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 a soul <laughs> uh, soul earthquake Yes, because you thought that you just uh, torpedoed your own career. Yep. And so then you donkey punched yourself yes. with whiskey. Yes, of course. And so you could you didn't wake up to do the podcast. And so then I called when we yes. finally talked in the afternoon. You explained the whole situation, and you got and, it immediately because you're a sweetheart, and and I appreciate that. Well, and you told me the idea, and so then when you what you're trying to give me credit for yes. is all I said was I think that's a great idea. I think it, you're absolutely right that you didn't get into this situation with these guys. It's yeah, just super. It's the new person in town who thinks like right. you're the person you're the only person who can help me be famous. So I think you made the right decision and I also said, you know, you don't have to get permission to do this. You should do this as a podcast because people are going to love it and you're going to have proof of concept. Yes. And you're going to get your TV thing and you're going to be able to get to do it with people who get what you who I yeah, who I really want to work with. I've been wanting to work with Wendy for forever, you know. We just like couldn't come up quite with the concept and so as soon as you said the word podcast I knew exactly who I wanted to work with I knew you know and every episode we tell a different story from 
horror history from the the history of sex work. And so, like, the first four episodes, I think we cover, like, 10,000 years. I mean, we go, uh, like, every, every episode's a new era, a new place, a new, um, you know, we go we up and down the socioeconomic spectrum. We talk about, you know, survival sex workers in the gold rush mm-hmm. uh, West. Mm-hmm. We talk about the uh, highest courtesans and the, the priestesses. I mean, like, it, it's all over the map, but um, but every episode we tell a story, and it's pretty cool. And it also feels nice to be using my degree for the first time. Which you have a degree in? I do have a degree in history. In so history. I, yeah. So here's the deal. The last time you came over and were on my podcast was just the day after I met you, and mm-hmm. we had a very interesting conversation because you're a very interesting person. Oh, thank you. But it was almost an hour in before you, you told me the, you know, yeah, I did when I was in uh, high school, I was a sex worker. And I was like, yeah, you know, big deal. <laughs> and of course, people burying who, the lead. Of course, people who know, you know that about you, right. but, uh, then we didn't, then we ended up just sort of talking about that a little bit in that mm-hmm. episode, but we went out to lunch and you told me more about it. But I thought if people are curious about your podcast now, the other thing that's cool about your podcast is it's like those ads. Do you remember the hair club for men where it's like, it's like you can go An- in. Another thing that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you could get uh, hair replacement uh, surgery and the guy who was the spokesmodel who's telling you how great the hair club for men is, he go, I'm not just the founder. I'm a member. I'm a member. I'm a <laughs> and so the great thing about, uh, the interesting thing about you and talking about sex work is that you did it and yeah. you started doing sex work when you were in high school. So can you talk to me a little yes, bit about how yes. that all got started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, I come from money, right? Not like pony money, but like, you know, major in whatever the fuck you want. You're not going to go into debt for college and you have cannot get all the hockey equipment you want kind of money. And mm-hmm. so I, there was no financial need. I didn't fall in with gang members. I didn't develop a drug addiction. I just went from... Uh, being a military brat, like living in Germany to moving to the American South and like this abstinence only sex education mm-hmm. and this, it, it felt very much like women's autonomy was all tied up in our ability to like unshackle ourselves from sexual mores and like prostitution was the ultimate middle finger to this like bougie, uh, controlling female sexuality because whores controlled their own sexuality. And they took this like dangerous, combustible, powerful thing and leveraged it into something they could use instead of just walking around with this liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you were how old? Uh, when I first started fantasizing about that, 12, yeah. 13. Uh, before I lost my virginity. This is a little bit scary. My daughter's okay. 13 okay. right now. So you're 12 or 13. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so before you lost your virginity, you thought, I was fantasizing. Maybe I'm going to look into prostitution yes. because I feel like that might be empowering for me. Yes. And uh, this does feel, especially the way that you set it up. Yeah. It feels like this is some kind of, well, we're, we are white people, but it's not really white, but it's economic it was, privilege it was gone, gone awry. Yes. You know, like, like I feel like I'm so safe that I'm going to try being a hooker. Yes. It's almost like... No, it was very derivative of, like, my entitlement as, like, a military brat. Like, I felt invulnerable. All teenagers feel invulnerable. But, like, I had a safety-compliance Green Beret father who I was just like... What does safety-compliance mean? Safety-compliance means his... So, he was in the Army for 30 years. He did a mm-hmm. lot of things. He started off as a Green Beret, became a helicopter pilot. He was... Um, did a lot of stuff. 
But when he specialized as a warrant officer, his focus was safety compliance, which meant his job was to dream up all the shit that could go wrong and then try to create things to stop it. So, like, for example, uh, the last war that he went to was Desert Shield, Desert Desert Mm -hmm. Storm when I was in kindergarten. And uh, one of the first things he did when he landed was he told his commanding officer that they had to stagger the helicopters because in case one of the Hellfire missiles went off on the Apaches, that it wouldn't blow up, like, an entire row of helicopters. It would just blow up, like, one far uh-huh. away. Um, and so, it, but it meant... <laughs> Holy cow. Right, exactly. What did your boss say when that's your idea? Like, oh, yeah, thank you. Well, good, good thinking. that's the thing, is that his boss was like, no, fuck you, we don't have the space for that. And in order, nobody is accidentally setting off a Hellfire missile. You've got, like... Set, it's difficult to set off one of those one of those missiles. But my father, uh, his commanding officer, had not yet served in an, like an actual live theater of war. But his boss was another Vietnam vet. So my dad just went above his head and like made them stagger the helicopters. And two days later, some poor schmuck accidentally set off a Hellfire missile, and the damage was minimal because my father had successfully staggered the helicopters. So wow. that was a... Well, so what you're saying is your dad is a super confident, yes, competent, confident, yes. careful, yes, person. Yes. So we're not also we're not talking. So we, not no, only daddy issues have, are not, not the only thing. Did you have money? You did not have an alcoholic dad no. who was abusing your mom. No, he was and amazing. Punching people, and uh, yeah. He went to all my recitals. Hmm. Well, I, obviously, he knows all this. Well, anyway, he does so now. so yeah. let's let's uh, let's get well, back like, into. So you're a teenager. That's your dad, teenager, and you felt, decide. It felt almost innate, like it felt like like whore. What almost felt like a kind of sexuality, like my my impulses and like instincts along that line felt very um, innate. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the word. This may seem weird because people are listening to this who don't know you and have not listened to your podcast yes. yet. So I'm going to ask you about losing your virginity. Sure. And that's going to seem to people who are listening to this like, where the, how the fuck do you get to ask someone that? It's whatever. And the it thing doesn't is, matter. Uh, wait till you listen to uh, the old, old the oldest profession. Yeah, no, podcast. nothing is off limits. You can find out a lot of things. Um, so. You lost your virginity, and then you decided to become yes a, a sex worker. Yeah, I um, I tried to lose my virginity uh, the day before September 11th to this like high school bad boy uh, who I talked into skipping school with me. But then he backed out at the last minute because he didn't want me to fall in love with him or some high school bullshit logic. We didn't nonsense. know that it was the day before September. No, we didn't 11th know that at, at the, the time. time. It was just my 15th birthday, mm-hmm. uh, so we skipped school on my 15th birthday, and he uh, wouldn't fuck me. And then six months later, nine months later, um, I, I lost my virginity to my first high school boyfriend who was also on the high school debate team with me. Um, so well, that hadn't happened yet if you were 15, had it? No. Or, so I lost my virginity, uh, like right. He would become your first high school he, boyfriend. Yeah. He became my first high school I boyfriend. I got it. Yeah. So yeah. So I skipped school with this like bad boy on my 15th birthday. Didn't lose my virginity. That didn't work out. Then I started dating somebody on the high school debate team. And then after six months of lobbying effort, he. You had to took, talk him into it? Yes. Because he was just such a sweet, uh, inexperienced guy that he just yes. was freaked out by it. Yes. Yeah. It was also his virginity. 
And had you been researching it on the internet or something? Or yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We, this is the height of uh, the purity test, and because mm-hmm. uh, you were Savage, in uh, North Carolina, Savage yeah. Love. Yeah, but this is like the beginning, the internet. Like this is that era. Yeah, and yeah. So gotcha. yeah, so we were we were doing that, and then I lost my virginity, and that was sort of interesting. And then um, <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. It, yeah, me too. I yeah. had that same response. Sort of. In, this is sort of interesting. The that it was sold to me was going to be this transformative, like there's your pre-virginity and then there's your post-virginity life. That like pre-virgin status, you're a child and then post-virgin status, you're an adult. I was, I was really underwhelmed by how little changed and how non-dramatic the, the whole thing was. But yeah, I think that that's common, but don't you, well, how do you feel? I feel like at this point in my life, I definitely see that that was a big turning point. But at the moment, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like no. Uh, it, it it. I mean, that's what it was. That I couldn't wait to lose my virginity. I was mm-hmm. chi- I was tired of being talked down to by adults. I was right. like, I'm gonna join the sex club, and then we can have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like it well, was, it definitely doesn't work that way. It does not. Adults will continue to condescend to mm-hmm. you, and you're not allowed to tell them that you lost your it's virginity. It's a weird thing for a kid to say to you. Right? It's yeah. like, hey, I'm not, uh, a virgin, I'm not a virgin anymore, anymore so, so if you could just push pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then um, I started researching um, escorts in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I found this message board, and I read the FAQ section there, and then um, I posted an ad while I was still dating my the high school boyfriend that I lost my virginity to. So I, I cheated on him with a client. Oh, and he didn't realize that you no. were doing this. Well, no. that would have probably... If it blew his mind just to be losing his virginity... Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Knew no, this, he was not. He, he couldn't handle the truth. Oh, I mean, he knew... See how he did that? Yes. <laughs> Although he, he knew that I was obsessed with it. The way that he described it was uh, you always had a happy-go-lucky fascination with the underworld. Like, that you were just going to, mm-hmm. like, skip into this weird subculture and... Uh, you know, well, I had I had a friend who got mixed up with heroin on that same. You know, you, you think that you can get away with yep. stuff that tougher people than you have yes. been made brought low by. Yes, but luckily, and this is now I know this thing about your dad. But the last time when when we were talking mm-hmm. about it privately off the podcast, you were tell, talking to me about. It all makes sense now because you were a bit of a safety compliance yes. officer for yourself, like yeah. before. And that's what I. That's so. If somebody's listening to this, thinking like maybe I'm going to try that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the the kind of precautions that you uh, took well, and the things that you were worried about ahead of time, and then what it turns out that you didn't anticipate to be worried about. And I think it's I think it's important to understand. Uh, like one of the fundamental parts of my personality is that I just don't want to be wrong more than anything in the world. You know, like I just want to be, I just want to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm willing to go to great lengths to like, to be that. So if I ended up dead, I'd be proving all these dumb fuck adults in my life. Right. And that, that could not stand. So, right. um, every, every appointment, um, I scheduled, I, I posted an ad, um, on the message board, which was this, Sort of, sort of like Airbnb. There was like a mutual review system, right? So like, well-known clients would have reviews about them from other providers. And is this providers. on the real internet? You're this not is on the some real dark internet. internet no, 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 no. I, I don't have the 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 skill set for that. So, so the 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 cheat on it is that it's your escorts or whatever, yes. right? Yeah, in donations, and we mm-hmm. get paid in quote unquote roses. 
I see. So there's like weird uh, language choices that make it mm-hmm. technically difficult to prosecute. And then also recognizing at that point it was a misdemeanor. The government hadn't gotten crazy with trafficking yet. So they were, prostitution is a misdemeanor. So for you to go on a date or whatever it was called right. with someone, it would cost a hundred roses or was a rose a dollar? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, I mean, I wasn't operating at a hundred dollars, but it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, no, we don't have to get into. We don't have to get into prices. It's like, is it just, I mean, just, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so uh, I would ask any potential client to send me their real name where they worked, and two industry references. That's, those are other women that they've seen and presumably not robbed or killed. So then I would, the first thing I would do is call their office and ask to speak to their real name. And if they said, yeah, sure, just hold on just a second while I transfer you, then I would hang up and consider that like a, a pass, right? Like they, they got it. Right. If somebody was like, uh, so-and-so doesn't work here or we don't know who you're talking about, then full stop end of process. I've already been lied to. We're never going to meet in person. Um, and then I would call, uh, or contact, tr- I'd contact both references, but I only needed to hear back from one of them. And so I'd hear back from some other, uh, escort in the, you know, and because, because they would give you that person's number. Now, does that other person give you permission to call them to? Yes. That yeah. That so that was works? a, like an industry standard, right? So uh-huh. it's reference, uh, reference checking between women. Um, I would frequently get those calls too. Someone would call me and say, "Hey, I want to." What's the que- What are the questions that you ask in that situation? Hey, so and so reached out to me and uh, provided you as a reference. I'm just calling to make sure that they're a gentleman, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, the best thing that you could hear was, "Oh yeah, they're awesome." The second best thing that you could hear is, "I don't remember them. Let me check." And then the worst was, "Ah, I remember that asshole. Did not worth it." Or don't go, or he shorted me, or creepy, some other. dirty, cheapskate, punchy. Cheapskate and dirty were worse than. I mean, creepy's part of the like. That's what you're. That's the service. You're gonna we're get providing. creepy. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. That's that's baseline. We yeah. That's to be expected. But dirty was a, a negative. Uh, cheap was real bad, and of course, violence the the worst. So cheap though, you've agreed or on the time pr- waster. That's you're agreed guy. on the you're agreed on the price, mm-hmm. and then so cheap means they don't give you a tip on top of that, or they try and haggle you once they get in. Yeah, trying trying to haggle is a uh, real bad form. Um, I I never considered anybody that just paid my fee and never like whined about it ch- cheap. Um, but if you got somebody who was trying to haggle down like in the room um, mm-hmm. or trying to get more like. Trying to trying to make get a ninety minute appointment instead of a sixty minute appointment for a sixty minute is that cost. time is that that's time, time waster yeah that's a time waster another time waster is just like endless texts endless emails endless phone calls about what's going to happen and then never actually making the appointment that's another oh. big red flag so they're sort of they're getting off they're getting off exactly the, yeah right and and you're how old when you're doing all seventeen this? seventeen years old seventeen years old yep. So in in one way, it's like you're this entrepreneurial yes. per, safety compliance. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot really to well, be that... to be proud of about your behavior in this. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely mitigating risk for mm-hmm. sure. But something that I've come to understand doing the podcast and talking to other women is that that was very much a luxury of 
like my privileged position. Well, you didn't, didn't need the money. I didn't need the money. So I had all the time in the world to do background mm -hmm. checks, to turn down clients that made me uncomfortable in some way, or to like, I just didn't have to do anything I didn't want to do because none of my survival needs were dependent on, mm -hmm. on that stuff. So I see women, I used to, uh, like when I was younger and, and dumber, I would sort of shit on women that like got caught by the cops or found themselves in a bad situation. I'm like, well, if you were just taking your reference checking more serious, or like if you were just taking mm -hmm. the time to screen your clients, you wouldn't have this problem. But it's like, you know, if you have mouths to feed and rent to pay, it the, the pressures of the market can force you into into taking more. The risks. financial pressure can put yeah. you in a more risk. Well, the financial pressure and also the panic. You know. But do you think that if you, it's a, it's a, it's got to also be a time thing. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you could fill. Well, I don't know. Obviously, were you able to fill your allotted schedule once you once you were up and running and you mm -hmm. had your systems in place? It's not like oh, I've got an opening that I want to have an appointment and I don't or whatever you call it. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's sort of like any freelance gig in that it's it's your schedule and it's also their schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to work that out. And then you're looking at, honestly, like a 20 to 40% like cancellation, no call, no show rate. So that's the danger is that like getting a hotel room and sinking the 150 bucks or whatever, and then having a client n not show up means that you're in the red. Right. Right. And you got to get the hotel room? Depends. So I wasn't legally able to get the hotel room until I turned 18. So I had like six months of mm -hmm. being an underage 17 year old trying not to let my clients know that I was underage. Well, and this is another safety thing, though. Yes. You're trying, you, you get the hotel room, now you've got control of the situation. Exactly. As opposed to they get the hotel room, and now you're someplace where you may trust the hotel, but you still don't know exactly what's going on. Yes, it's not as dangerous as going to someone's home. But like, So the first six months that I operated, I would go to their hotel room, and then I would sometimes work it out with a trusted client that they would like give me the key and tell me not to damage the room on their credit card basically but they would i would give them like a discount and then i would i would get the hotel for the rest of the day and then i was able to schedule out call mm -hmm. yeah man there's just so many uh, layers there's so many layers and well and so much stuff that you have to communicate mm -hmm. there's a it's i mean that's what i always say to people about airbnb and about uh uber and mm -hmm. lyft is what they're really providing is trust yep absolutely you know, they're making sure that you can you can trust that the person who's going to show up is going to yep. give you a ride or stay in your house and they're not going to damn it and there's accountability without you having to to get people to sign leases or yes. do background checks and all yeah. that but so what what you're doing is you're trying to create this yes this amount of trust without mm -hmm. offending someone and then people put that Oh, you've offended me. That's the first thing that somebody who's up to some shit is going to say. Exactly. Yes, and and you would certainly get that from clients. Like I, I remember, uh, you know, LOLing um, many many clients who would complain about my screening process or or some other thing, and I'd just be like, I mean, if you would like to go see uh, a cheaper or easier whore, uh, do that. The, the the market provides, but to cross this threshold. I need the following things. Yeah. So, it, it, I, I mean, I was, I was really good at boundary setting 
because I was my father's daughter and because I had no like urgent, imminent financial need. So I was able mm-hmm. to enforce that shit. And then have you continued to do that your whole uh, no, adult life? No, no, no. Or? I quit when I went to college. Um, I came back for Thanksgiving break and I had two appointments and it like just wasn't fun anymore. And like I wanted, and my time at home felt more precious. I didn't want to be spending it that mm-hmm. way. So I quit. And were those appointments, those were people who you knew from before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Gotcha. So, uh, but it wasn't fun anymore. So I, I quit. Um, you know, I didn't make a big show of it. I just stopped, you know, it was very, very yeah. easy to just stop taking appointments and then um, I did college, and then after college, I worked in politics for two years, and then I got burnt out on that, came home, started doing comedy, uh, and then I moved to New York, and I worked at Starbucks, and as a tutor, and a night monitor, and, like, stringing all of these weird, like, low-page, wage-slave jobs together, um, and I, I hit, like, kind of a financial bottom, um, I had a maxed out credit card. I was sleeping on yoga mats in central Harlem, mm-hmm. um, in a two bedroom apartment with five people in it. Oh. No AC. I had a heat rash, a yeast infection and bed bugs all at the same time. And I was stealing yeast infection medication because I, my credit card was maxed out and I just couldn't, uh, do it. And that's when, um, I went back to a different kind of sex work. Um, I went on seeking arrangements and negotiated, um, uh, like a, a more a long term th- arrangement. It was, so this is where yeah. I wanted to to go yeah. n- next and ask you about. It. And I and I want to at the end I want to talk about the political organizing too because yes. that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, to it's me. very neat. But uh, but again, I want to tell people <laughs> I'm talking to Caitlin because I want you to go listen to her podcast, The Oldest Profession podcast. We have so much fun. And uh, yeah, it's really it's really great the conversations that you and Wendy have. And so. It's, you talk, just, it's, it's, I mean, whores talking to whores it, are, are, is a better kind of conversation. Like, so I, I do these kinds of podcasts a lot, right? Where, and, um, you know, like comics talking to comics is just a different conversation than like a comic talking to a civilian about comedy. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So like Wendy and I have both, uh, you know, sold pussy and that gives us an awareness to the, the stories that we're telling and an insight into each other's lives that we're able to sort of like skip over that bullshit and get really into it, into well, the, yeah. As, as somebody who hasn't been in that world, you know, and I would have been on mm-hmm. the consumer side, obviously, but, uh, it, it, the Don't perception, have to sell yourself. well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to take this. Oh. <laughs> oh God. What was I doing? I was listening to, to one of your shows and you were talking about, uh, age anyway. Um, <laughs> I, this is a joke that I'm doing in my act where I say, uh, you know, you don't think you're old until you realize, geez, it's been 20 years since anyone called me a fag. <laughs> you know, I must not be good looking anymore. Um, so, but because a lot of people haven't had experience with it mm-hmm. and the portrayal of sex work on TV is always just horrific and terrible. It's just, yeah. And the realistic concerns, when just from listening to your podcast about some of the historical mm-hmm. examples, the concerns are always kind of safety. And, and there's mm-hmm. the physical safety, but then there's also the, the safety from safety. the politicians and the... And the uh, yeah, so there, you have to protect a lot of different things, right? So, like, most urgently um, and importantly, you have to protect your physical body from violence and disease, right? So, like, those are the two things 
uh, that you have to stay focused on. You also have to protect your, your reputation. Like there's a real danger to being outed, uh, either to the police or to your community or to your family or like in some other way. So you have to protect your, uh, your reputation, uh, your social mm-hmm. reputation. And then also you have to protect yourself emotionally. Like, you know, these are, you're, you're getting involved and in spending intimate time with people with lots of mixed motives. Um, you know, I, sometimes I, I think of, uh, clients and other people as being like, uh, like emotional vampires where they're trying to like suck as much energy and time and attention from you, um, as they can for, you, you know, for your hourly rate. So it's well, important it's, to set those boundaries. You know, that's why people pay a therapist yes. because you're having a one-sided yes. emotional relationship with someone yes. where it's all you. You get to talk just about your problems mm-hmm. and you get to have the other person weigh in or help you with all your shit and you don't have to listen to any of their shit. Right. And this is, you know, it's that with sex, but it's also that with emotions because you're yes. talking to people first and then sometimes you're more. that's got to be a bigger aspect of it and yes. that's what you were when you're talking about going back to a version of sex yes. work, that this is the, this is the thing that I only heard this term, um, probably a, a year ago, mm-hmm. sugaring. Yes. Right. Sugaring, and so, it's a new word for really old relationship, right? Old wealthy men have been keeping younger women in a fashionable style that, they, that were not their wives for all of human history, patrons, right? Whether they're patrons of the arts or patrons of like whatever have existed for the, the whole time. It's just, um, and, and the, and what the relationship is, um, like it has always been is negotiated between, um, you know, the, the patron and whoever they're supporting. So with sugaring, it refers to sugar babies and sugar daddies, which are phrases that I hate, but basically, it's a, basically it's a patron relationship. So what I did, um, was I, I had studied this dynamic, uh, for a long time, um, having done hourly sex work and looked into muses and kept women in courtesans and, and all of that jazz. And I basically used the rules, you know, that like, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a great, now this book, the rules, Yeah. I read that book. Just be well. Well, personally, I I have a kind of a, I, I was I needed the rules for myself because <laughs> I was getting emotionally hurt. But uh, I think the rules is a great book for men and women mm-hmm. to read about. Look, this is how you protect yourself. Yes. In emotional situations. Yeah, I found it most relevant to sex work. It, I don't mm-hmm. I don't treat my uh, recreational relationships that way, but. With uh, with that, I was able to artificially like raise my perceived value by holding out um, the like sex and time and attention until I'd negotiated a more favorable uh, financial and autonomous relationship with uh, a man who ended up being my patron for years. And with that, is it you have one mm-hmm. sugar person? Yeah. Um, everyone does it differently. So there are lots of sugar babies out there that are juggling multiple, you know, sugar That's got to be complicated because they could be jealous or they could feel like, look, if I'm yes. paying this, I've, yes. I, I own, there are feelings I of own possession. all your free time or I right. own, you know. But, yeah, so this is more conversation. It is much more conversational. It's much more complicated. So like hourly escorting work was much better 
with like clear boundaries and like anyone can be on their best behavior for a fucking hour. But with the, uh, with the more long-term relationship, I mean, you're using your real name, your, uh, like the, the lines become a little bit fuzzier. And so you can fall into, and it can become a financially abusive relationship where you're dependent on somebody giving you your allowance and then well you if know. you're living if they're paying mm-hmm. i mean i heard a number in one of your podcasts that was some that was thousands of dollars yes. right yes. per month yes and so that's someone who's basically supporting, supporting you, you. Yeah. and so if they decide all at once that they don't like something that you're doing and yes. it's a quid pro quo you know yes like, ask any commission based artist ever <laughs> You know, right. I mean, like it's... so you're so you're super vulnerable in that. And how do you? And and it's almost like the more you define the boundaries, the more you're losing. Yes. I mean, I think part of the reason you, I would be curious, but uh, part of the reason people are going to prostitutes is not just to have an orgasm. No. It's they're lonely and yes. they want to have physical physical contact makes you emotionally mm-hmm. feel better yeah. and you want to also have some emotional contact. You know, you want to have a conversation or you want to get it. Yeah. This guy liked, uh, genuinely liked spending time with me. This is your sugar. This is my sugar daddy. He really liked hearing my perspective on his world. Um, so like he was a producer and, and, you know, top 1% and big deal, like the democratic party and like stuff like that. But he would be, coming to me and telling, I, I'm out, I exist outside of his social context, right? So my perspective is an outsider's perspective given to him in an in intimate and like emotionally empathetic setting, if that makes sense. Right. And even though he was paying you, he was trusting that you were going to be yeah. honest with yeah, him. Yeah, of course. Right. That's part of the, that's part of the thing. Um, he, we stopped having penetrative sex after he got married, uh, which happened in like year two of our relationship. Um, we were still having sexual contact, but it just wasn't, he stopped fucking me. Um, but maintain, but continued to pay me. Are people having orgasms? Yes. Oh, no, he wasn't. I was pretending to have orgasms. <laughs> he, I, I, he did not let me oh. touch his dick. Out until after he got married. After was he got married, weird, you yeah. weren't touching his penis. He's not touching. Really, I stopped seeing. I forgot what it looks like. It's like, hmm. yeah. But what he, a sweet he guy. would finger me. I mean, it was. Well, I mean, he, I, he liked. So the he was story. in his mind. He yes. was making you happy, but yes. he wasn't cheating on his wife. Yes. And so he felt like yes, it was. He was giving you money. He mm-hmm. was satisfying you sexually, yes. and that made him feel good. It made him feel good. So he liked the story that he was telling himself about what was happening, um, and he also really liked considering himself a, a patron of like this kind of artist. You know, like he he believed in my work. And were you doing were you doing stand up yep. and other things? Yeah, so stand up. Was he was aware one woman of all show? That. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, would yeah. come and see me perform. He mm-hmm. came and saw me uh, my my one woman show. He came to uh, Fringe Festival. Well, it's uh, very like that. What's the term? The boyfriend experience. It's yeah. Very or the yeah. girlfriend. The girlfriend experience. experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I have I still have a lot of respect for this guy. You know, mm-hmm. like I I consider him friend is probably too strong a word, but like I got I got warm. Fe- he changed my life. You know, I went from. And how many years did that go on? Um, on and off again, like four years. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, I have a savings account. I've got, like, it's great. Things Congratulations. Are... Thank you. Yeah, right, yeah. I'm out of credit card debt. It's great. It's great. And uh, 
And then the thing that Wendy was talking about was she started off selling her Panties. underwear. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's, it's interesting. To, Wendy and I have really different experiences with sex work. I got started really early, and she got started pretty late. Um, so, like, I started at 17. She started at 35. Um, I started as, like, full-service, hourly escort, classic prostitution. And then she started out selling her panties, but we both eventually went into, went into sugaring. And it's really mm-hmm. different, our different tactics with it. Because, like, I was more of a, like, a boundary queen uh, because of the escort experience. So I mm-hmm. was like, you know, these are the lines and you shall not cross them. Right. Uh, and then her with the pan, things are a little bit looser with her. So she has, she has patrons that pay her and, like, Uber rides and Uber eats and, like, Equinox perks and, like, other stuff where I was like, we are, we are negotiating like I can't pay my rent in Equinox points. That's not like that's not yeah, a thing. Well, I want autonomy. This is autonomy. the thing about you. You're you're an attorney and she's a cowboy. Yes, exactly. I, mean, that's, I know that there weren't any attorneys in the village people, but uh, <laughs> I always like to break it down to like village people analogy. Yeah. She's the cowboy. She's the cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so so that's kind of uh, where I want to. Uh, <laughs> sorry, because I wrote these notes and now I didn't really have them all in the that's... order that I wanted them in, but I. I wanted to then talk about because now I don't know if this is a personal question, but are, are so you're not involved in in sugaring or any no. sex work right now. No. You're you're done. It I, seems I'm like done. Wendy is still involved a little bit it's, sometimes it, when it, I listen. Like, it's hard I, to tell. I don't. We don't know. Uh, I don't, like, we right. can't talk about we, Wendy. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just talk about you. Um, <laughs> but this is a thing that you guys were talking about on your show in terms of, and and it relates to where we're at right now in this conversation is. So how do you then have your own personal mm-hmm. dating boyfriend, girlfriend, or girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever your yeah. deal is, how do you have that category of a relationship simultaneous with these other relationships, or can you? Um, I think you can, um, and I know lots of women who do. Uh, for me, it was interesting. Um, I had... it. it it gets, it gets weird because cause dudes are weird and it becomes like an ego thing and a, and a possession thing where it's like I... But like I remember explaining um, to one of my exes, John Ozele, he's a very talented comic, he's a great guy, where, I was, where he was like, I really want you to stop doing this. I want you to stop doing this. And I'm like, if you make me walk away... From sixty thousand dollars cash free money a year, tax free money a year, for somebody that I see once a quarter and don't fuck, I'm just gonna resent you, and that's exactly what happened in our relationship. So that was one of the breaks that I took mm-hmm. with my. Uh, we have to have, you have to find someone who's mm-hmm. who, who's able to. It's it's like this polyamory thing. Yeah. Everybody thinks that's going to be some great sex all the time but yeah no the you got to work it out with everybody you got to have a conversation with your main yep. significant person or your two main significant persons yep. and then they're um it's communication there are other people you got to talk about all this so you have to find someone who's up for the situation Absolutely. and you can't keep it secret from them and i think that's a big problem with a lot of people's relationships is they think oh the problem is not what i'm doing the problem is then that the other person it. found out about it well, and that's... so that's interesting. So that's, I guess, the question is, is, 
it's hard to find someone who can understand, look, that's what you're doing to make a living, and this relationship is separate from that. This relationship is separate from this. This That's a kind of, it's a kind of work thing. Um, it, but it's also, this was, you know, it's like I've had, like, uh, I've had three relationships um, in the context of this, this span. And I've had a lot of casual, sporadic relationships. And for that, I'm just like, neither one of us have the right to tell anyone what to do. You know, like, wear a condom and show up when you say you're going to show up. But, like, I don't, I don't want to impact who you're dating, and you're not going to impact who I'm dating. So th- this isn't, it's non-negotiable. But as the relationship gets more intimate, and you start making sacrifices for each other, you know, like meeting each other's families, then mm-hmm. it, it gets a little bit weird. So um, another, another person that I was dating, Victor, his big problem wasn't the relationship that I had with this guy. It wasn't the money. It was the fact that I was talking about it. It was like he was having a hard time justifying um, my decision to like his friends and family. And so that was a, a big tension moment. And that's something yeah. that I, I really appreciate about my, my boyfriend now is that he's got, he doesn't have a lot of ego wrapped up in uh, what I choose to talk about on podcasts or, or stage or any of that stuff. Well, yeah, I, I think everybody's got to just be really honest with who they are mm-hmm. and how they feel about things. And you can have feelings about of course. what someone else, I mean, like I feel for me, mm-hmm. um, I want to be physically monogamous, monogamous with my wife and I want her to be that way with me. And if she didn't feel that way, I would hope that she would be honest with me right. and tell me that and then we could talk about it as opposed to finding out that that was going on. Right. And then also, um, so there's that. But the the physical, the sex monogamy, that's a common, and people, off, they just assume that that's how everyone right. wants to be. Well, that is that is changing. And but, but that is yeah. really changing. To me, then, the second part of it, though, especially with this, with the sugaring thing, mm-hmm. is like, well, now, look, I can deal with, with we're not physically, sexually monogamous, mm-hmm. but... Now you're sharing your secrets with someone else, or you're, or you're just listening to someone else's secrets. That yeah, feels is, like, oh, that should be, I should get that for you. Cause, I cause wonder you, if we therapists don't have, a, have this, these fights with their, with their spouses. I wonder, too. Well, yeah. we don't have an unlimited amount of emotional, emotional availability. Yes, that's right. true. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, so, there's, so there's those, those do, two parts of the relationship. I feel less drained after... A, a date, an appointment, whatever you want to call it, uh, with with my patron than I did after a, a Starbucks shift. I felt like Starbucks was more mm. draining uh, physically and emotionally. I was in like a cuntier mood. Um, totally get it. I've been to Starbucks. That's a nightmare. <laughs> well, people just aren't nice enough to each other generally. That's a whole nother. Yeah. Topic, I would never but... tolerate that kind of disrespect from a client. That that client that customers at Starbucks just dole out to baristas on, on well, principle. You know what? I, I just think people aren't being taught this. They We all know it, but just people have forgotten it. And I don't know if people aren't teaching it at school or parents <laughs> aren't teaching it to children, but just like the world is nicer if we're just nice to each yeah. other, you know? And if you shit in someone else's head, they're going to shit right back in your head yeah. or shit in the next person's head. And so just kind of let's be careful and nice with each other and you know 
the world is going to be a better place. It yeah. sounds like Pollyanna and ridiculous, but yeah, I know I, I totally get that. And I think it, I mean, it comes from a realization, uh, like you're happier if you're kinder to people. So it doesn't have to be as selfless as making the world a better place. Like you'll just improve your life if you're just more mindfully nice to everyone that you interact with. So that, so that's a question that I have right now. And then mm-hmm. I want to go back to this where, where we were, but sure. why are people going to see, uh, to get in a, where they're the sugar daddy situation mm-hmm. or they're going to see prostitutes is it, it it's obviously it's not just a sex thing it's not just a sex thing and i mean you know I, I think wendy has a very similar experience but i mean just just like with my patron a solid 30 40 percent of my clients when i was an hourly escort were either suffering from emotional or physical erectile dysfunction and we were not engaging in uh, in, in like sex to orgasm for men, like like their ejaculation was not the goal of the, uh, the appointment or the session. Um, which I think is interesting and surprising for a lot of people. It's a kind of emotional intimacy and safe space that I think is systematically denied to men. I think that so many of my clients felt that they were participating in a thin and tired charade about like what it meant to be a man, a boss, a husband, a father, a whatever. And that, that like they couldn't reveal their vulnerability to their partner or like their, their employees, their children. Like, so talk about the charade, talk about what, mm -hmm. talk about what the world was that they were forced to live in and mm-hmm. the, the reality of how they wanted to be in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's this, uh, they have to know the right answer that they had to, um, that they had to be in charge, that they had to be on their best behavior. They'd cast, uh, their wife in many, um, it, it, as like the, as like the mean mom, as like somebody that they would get in trouble with, that they had to like mm-hmm. be, uh, be on their best behavior for, of the, the feeling that they were walking on eggshells um, all the time. Um, I think a lot of that was imposed. I don't think that that, I think that you can like cast the people in your life into the role that you want them to fill. And it's often not a genuine right, right. reflection. You get, the, you get this kind of stereotypical interpretation of yes. the world. And well, so, but that's the idea of the world that they, that they, they felt that they, that they were, were in, in and the world that they wanted to live in was this other lower pressure, which is, right. you know, the, the myth that I think that, from my perspective mm-hmm. of how I am as a man, you know, there's this myth that men just want one thing, which is to have orgasms right. and they're animals and the, and the whole thing. And, and I feel like the reality is that, you know, you don't, you, I want to feel, I want to have sex with my wife because that's when I feel completely connected to her. Yes. That's when I feel like this is the one thing that we're sharing that makes our our connection different from all the other connections, and that you and I are undeniably the most important people to each other right yep. now. And and I feel like we're all we're all kind of told that 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 the orgasm is the symbol of that, and that's why when you when you yeah. just said that you that you have these guys come in and what they wanted was to feel to the intimacy without the pr- pr- without the pressure of like look you don't have to get a boner. Right, yeah. You don't have to have an orgasm. No, you don't even have to be I'm interested. still here with you. We're yeah. still together. 
you know? I think a lot of it, a lot of these men wanted to feel heard and seen, and they didn't feel heard and seen either by their partner or by the world generally. I think there's a lot of men walking around that feel invisible, that feel like their emotional needs are not uh, recognized or celebrated, right? Because, like, so much of the, like, you know, romantic language is about making uh, the woman feel heard and seen, and, like, that the, the man is responsible for doing the romantic gestures, but not, like, not on the receiving end of the romantic gestures. Um, a lot of the men that I saw wanted um, to feel funny and, like, wanted... They wanted uh, to tell their charming anecdotes to somebody that hadn't heard them uh, four times a year, mm. every year for the past 20, that didn't have a year's worth of resentment or guilt or, or trigger points um, that they could have a more relaxed conversation with. In the same way that people feel more confident or comfortable telling their life story to somebody they met on an airplane than they do telling people where the emotional stakes are higher, right? Yeah. So that's... It's it's about existing outside of the social context, right? Like, there's no fear that I'm going to show up at a dinner party that they're at and remind them of the embarrassing anecdote that they told me. You know what I mean? Like, there's no. Well, also, but but it's it's a it's a trust in it, and it's a kindness, mm-hmm. and it's a vulnerability mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, that people want to be in a place where they can feel like someone's being kind to them, that they can trust that that they can be vulnerable without being hurt later on mm-hmm. and it's just sad that they don't have that in their primary we all want that in our primary relationship yes. yeah you know? absolutely but it's i think it's hard too because as much as these men didn't feel seen and heard by their partners i also felt fairly confident that a lot of them could not see or hear their partners that just as they felt like they were enacting you know, a script of what it meant to be a husband with, like, regular diamond purchases and a dutiful work attendance record, they were asking their wife to do their best impression of, you know, the... Yeah. yeah. It's a shallow, feminine... It's a mirror image of the same thing. Well, but they're also exhibiting a quality that would probably be more attractive to their spouse than the way... You know, they're trying to... They're trying. They're figuring a workaround for a thing that's broken inside them that's yes. keeping them from getting what they want from their spouse. So they're getting yes. it from you. And if they used more of what they were using with you with their spouse, that might actually solve some of the problems. But maybe. Who knows? But I also, I mean, again, it's the oldest profession, right? So like this social role, like I. Well, that's the sex part of it. Is the oldest profession? I no, think. Or not do you think that? No, this think... the, this role mm-hmm. exists in society, and I think it is necessary within the context of a patriarchal society, to have sex workers because sex workers operate as, like, the stick, right? Where for fear of being confused for for a whore, women limit their freedom of expression and their freedom of movement themselves, right? They self-censor because they don't want to be confused with being a whore. Their freedom of movement... No, no, no. So regular women, right? Good wives, good daughters, good women. Don't go out at night. Don't dress scantily. Don't speak their mind. Don't do all the things that whores are free to do in a society, right? They don't move around and they don't say what they want to say. Whereas sex workers 
are the ones that are allowed to read and write what they want. They're allowed to speak publicly and they're allowed to be out in the world because you can't slut shame a whore. You can't do it. Right. But they do suffer some of the consequences. Yes, like when you, when you say to your daughter, look, if you, I don't think you should wear that because, because you're going to get you're some unwanted. Like you're going to, well, not, you're going to look like a whore. I, I don't say that. Oh, I, okay. I'd say you're going to get some unwanted attention. The kind know? of attention that whores get. Because, like, because it is the stick, right? Because, like, with that freedom of movement and with that freedom of expression comes a kind of vulnerability that uh, that good women are supposedly protected from. Because supposedly the patriarchy is about protecting about protecting women. Yeah, well, historically it has not done that. Reality is, we all need to take it down a notch. So I want to get to that. Let yeah. me let me put a bookmark on that and okay. come back to that. I hope that we have time to talk about all these things that I want to talk about. Um, but I wanted to talk about something that you and Wendy had both talked about, which is a little bit of the flip side of what you're talking about mm-hmm. now, which is this idea that you don't like guys to see... Well, I know you have a boyfriend now. Yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. are talking about getting married. But the idea that you you didn't want people to come see your stand-up right. and you dress down and dumb it up yes. on stage. Or, or, d- dress down and dumb yes. it up. So, so that so that you're not getting unwanted sexual attention on stage sometimes. We're, we're, and I mean, I can slightly relate to that when I started because when I started doing stand up, I would I was really into going to the gym, and I got kind of in in too good a shape. To right, be distractingly a good shape. Yeah, and uh, that's a nice humble brag that I just did. But <laughs> uh, but I sort of feel like if you want to have the relationship you want with the with the partner that you want, you need to let them come to your stand-up show because they need to accept and love all of the things that are about you that are real, and especially some of the most important things, which right. is, you know, your your creative expression. Yes, absolutely. And so, so it's interesting to me that you guys both felt like, oh, you didn't want to do that when... Well, the, I think the thing that we were talking about specifically, it's like, um, I know that... the so like Wendy and I both exploited our position as artists and used that to market and leverage our relationship with these different patrons. Right. So it's like, it wasn't bias Manolo Blancs and so that we can have spa days and, you know, be groomed for like, we're like, no, 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 we're on a mission. We're both trying to do a thing. If you want to support that mission, then we need, you know, we need money to, to mm-hmm. live our lives, right? right? It's a it's a different ask than like spoil me, daddy, for the sake of spoiling. No, me. I get it's that. Like, get on board with this mission that we're on, right? And so, but it is weird. It it got less weird, but it it is weird to play the placating, listening, arm candy, uh, emotionally empathetic, focused on the client, sex worker role. And then walk into a comedy club and be a comic at the same time. Because walk, being a comic feels like, for, I need to be a little bit selfish, right? I need to talk to the people that I need to talk to. I want to go backstage and clear my head. I want to go on stage and have no fucks to give about, you know, what is coming out of my mouth, right? Whereas if I go with a client, I feel like my attention is kind of split. And for a long time, I felt that same anxiety with, with boyfriends. And it's still taken, um, my, my boyfriend knows that in a comedy club, 
we got to we got to take PDA down a way notch. I can't have you necking on me in front of my colleagues like it sends the wrong message. Um, I can't have you wandering into the green room, you know, like so he knows to give me more space when I'm when I'm at a I don't know. I feel like you might work. have some boundaries that you don't necessarily need in that aspect, but it is interesting to me because I always say the difference between magicians and comedians is when you watch a magician, you know it's a trick. Right. But when you watch jokes are tricks. Yes. You're saying a thing that somebody didn't think you were going to say. Mm-hmm. But you knew you were going to say it. You know it's a trick. Yes. But they're, you're, the, 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 the point of the show is to fool them into knowing it's not, to thinking it's not a trick. Mm-hmm. And so that's with magicians and stand-up. But you're talking about with stand-up. It's okay. You're the person on charge. In charge, you're yes. on stage. You have the control, but you are also trying to create an illusion that you're yes. not in control. But it's very obvious if yes. you just if you just look at it for a second. Right. But I have the this, microphone. You're but expected in the sugaring to listen. Re- relationship, it's exactly the same. It, it, it is. Trying, it's also a trick. You're trying. The other person, if they thought about it for a second, would realize yes. that this can't be. You can't just be this dream person who right. doesn't have any needs. Exactly. <laughs> Right. I'm getting my needs met. I'm just not bothering you with them. That's what the monthly allowance is for. Right, right. Right. Yeah, the monthly allowance buys you not my problems. Right. Yeah. And so Yeah, they are sort of they are sort of similar, so try and it, it it's similar but it it's different. You know, because it's you know, uh Jim Norton actually said uh, you know, like sex work is a a secret and uh comedy is about telling the truth and so that's that was his argument for why i shouldn't be doing sex work and i was like well, what if i just told the truth about my sex work and that's why you shouldn't be doing sex work yeah or why yeah why i shouldn't have been doing it years ago when we had this conversation oh well i feel like you could everybody can do whatever they want exactly as long as, and and i think the more talking about it the better yes. i mean that's to me What's another benefit of your podcast is it's putting information out into the world so that the people who are doing it don't feel isolated and right. the people who may be interested in being customers yeah. understand more about the reality yes. of the relationship, but also the other people who aren't involved with it at all can understand, look, this is going on in the world and it's not what you think. It, it is It is not what you think. And that's the thing that I think upsets me so much. And one of the things that I felt so compelled to tell this story or tell these stories is that we've been sold a lie about what it means to be a sex worker that serves the function of this, like this patriarchal need to limit the, the range of expression of women generally. And so we use this stigma against sex workers to limit women generally by telling them a lie about what it means. Do you think it would be possible for us to kind of get a little more emotionally healthy and that then the result of that would be we wouldn't be needing sex work? We could, ha- we could come to a more equitable sexual and uh, emotional intimacy with each other? That is 100% achievable. It's something that we deeply want as a species, but it means that we would have to let go of the military-industrial complex because you cannot make good soldiers with uh, men that have the full range of emotional expression. That, like, the soldiers are the result of, like, that's the, that's the main output of, like, what we've, the, the violence that we've done to the right. emotional you have lives to fuck of men. Up. You have, you to, have fuck to fuck up, up men. 18 to 20 year old men yep. in order to have an army. Right. Um, and, and fuck them up in terms of just convince them to 
<laughs> to kill people and to risk getting It was killed. much harder to turn my father into a soldier than it was to turn me into a whore. What I was doing felt very innate and natural, and what he was asked to do involved a lot of very, very violent training uh, to make oh him comfortable. Oh, my God. Well, we, everybody, it, we, yes. our prime directive is to have sex with each other. Our, right. We don't kill each other. We unless, don't do that naturally. Unless some... But we were both 17 when we started. Yeah. And, um, and like, our, our lives are very different, and our experiences were very different, but that's something that it, it feels like weird mirror images of each other. And the, the Ishtar episode that we did, the fourth episode, um, I think outlines this relationship, that prostitutes are often the shield, as you would say, of, like, female bodies um, for men coming back from war, and often this, like, civilizing force... For men as they transition from, uh, it's what's well, yeah. exactly what we were talking about in the sugaring situation, yes. or or these guys who come in who are not able to to they have erectile dysfunction. Yep. It's like they're they're people who are so broken that they mm-hmm. can't achieve a normal kind of emotional or physical intimacy with someone. So their their option is to pay right. For a sex worker, yeah, that's exactly say, right, it again. Often, say it again because it would sounded so. I know you've said it before, and and I thought it sounded really great. <laughs> but say again about it. it was easier for it was easier for uh, it was easier for me to become a whore. It was easier for me to have sex for money. Um, it was a shorter transition, way less training than it was for my father to become a soldier. It was more natural for me to have sex for money than it was for my father to kill for money. And uh, talk about the emotional consequences. Yeah, my father's f- fucked up. It, he's 69 years old. Um, he is function. Uh, hermit is probably too strong a word, but he's physically uncomfortable leaving the house. Um, he, he has, he's finally been able to say the word PTSD. Because for years and years and years growing up, I was told real soldiers don't get PTSD. They knew what they were signing up for. All of these guys crying... Uh, PTSD or just emotionally weak cowards. <laughs> like so, that was my dad's line. Well, that's part of it. That's part of that's the part training. of the training. Exactly. So I, mean, you know, he bought into uh, the. the well, yeah, it's not even bought into. It, it was you, the training was effective. Yeah, you know yeah, the what training I mean? was effective. It, it's like, I, and I do get. I, from your mm-hmm. perspective, yeah, he bought into the training. But you it's have like, to. look, they that's the training is to get you to yes. buy into the training. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because you can't have people asking when you're told to run into the field, right? You can't have people asking questions about the, that's not what war is. No. That's something that, that that was a very important lesson growing up for me. Was like my father communicated to me in no uncertain terms that the veil of civility is thin and porous and delicate and like and that, that people are capable of horrific, monstrous, terrible things under the right circumstance. That it isn't a failure of character. It is a failure of circumstance. That's what makes people into monsters. Mm. Mm. Well, and it also is like, look, if you don't want to, if 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 you don't if you don't want what happened to your father to happen to you, then don't take the training. Don't right. Don't take the training. But so we've all heard that consequence that he has suffered, and yeah. I think one of the things that people often think about sex workers. Is what's the consequence of that? You went into this with the most emotion, or yes. the most. You were trying to be as safe as possible, mm-hmm. and, and I achieved that. I you had... also have this the the privilege that you mm-hmm. started off with. To me, it feels like you've gotten 
I you're feel okay, but how... more capable of emotional intimacy than my father is. Right, but talk about yeah. Let's go separate from him because we sure. talked. To, that's the emotional consequences of being in the military. Yes. Talk about the emotional consequences of sex work. First of all, from it, your personal standpoint, sure. which I think is minimal, and second of all, from from some of the more well, tougher I'll, scenarios. Well, I'll tell you a joke. And so I've been opening my set with um, I'm in a new relationship, uh, which is weird because I used to have sex for money, and it's impossible not to do the math. Because uh, on the one hand, I'm having a really good time, and on the other hand, he's getting such a good deal. So I think like one of the one of the consequences of having done sex work is it's kind of impossible not to to do the math, you know, to think about uh, sex and sexual intimacy in a in a contractual or um, uh, commodified way. But I also think that that's kind of written into the language of dating that like there's so much gift giving culture and like right, but yeah, you the fact that you can do sex work yeah. is, I mean, in, in, in the worst possible way yeah. is a result of the patriarchy, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, this thing where you're saying, look, you're getting such a good deal. It's like the reason he's getting a good deal is because women have got a shit deal. Right. Yes. Because right. women have got a shit deal, which is one of the things where it's like sex work is both a symptom and also the solution to patriarchy. Right, because on the one hand, yes, it is exactly. it's taking money from people that have it and giving it to mostly women, uh, people that need it, right? And it's commodifying. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why patriarchal societies throughout human history have come down so hard on prostitutes is because it's a subversive way for women to get um, independence, right? Financial independence. Um, other kinds, you know, they can yes. they can exist outside of the the narrow limitations of social mores for women and still survive and even thrive. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, and I do get that it's a, it's mm-hmm. a vulnerability. Sex work is a vulnerability to the patriarchy. It's a subversive act when subversive. you do it the way that you yes. were doing it. It can also be, I mean, certainly men and and children and women are victimized. Yes, absolutely. Also exploitation exists in all things sex work included. So um I suppose there could be people who are listening to this thinking about getting, you know, trying it. Um I would say that like when I I feel like I got into sex work during this weird golden age, right? 2004, 2005. It's after the internet made, like, anonymous sex work possible, right? I didn't have to stand on street corners. I didn't have to sit at bars. I didn't have to subject myself to... I could schedule all of my appointments from the comforts of my childhood bedroom, right? Mm -hmm. But it was also before the surveillance state got real fucking creepy. So, like, there wasn't facial recognition technology or FaceTime. So nowadays there's or, cops that are yeah. trying to figure out these networks yeah, Eros, that you were... Eros yeah. got raided three days ago. Hmm. Eros is the largest advertising uh, network in the in the world for sex workers. I've heard of women who were denied um, re-entry like, from Canada to the U.S. because their facial recognition technology was used to match their Eros ad to their, their face. So they didn't even have to be arrested 
in order to the be idea, stigmatized it, it as just, sex work. Oh my God! Right. How much money people's, are we, that's our tax money has been dollars? Frozen. They're spending my mm-hmm. tax dollars. PayPal has seized sex worker assets because I mean, yeah, no, it's nuts. Why are we doing that <laughs> when there's violence in the world? We we we've because got upholding other the patriarchy is the most important thing to the military-industrial complex. Well, look, I... <laughs> capitalists are running the world. It doesn't feel as great to be a white guy as everybody makes as it, it used out to, to be. be. Well, not even as it used to be. It's never <laughs> felt like. No, it's but I mean, that's part of privilege, I guess. But to, yeah, you know, so we go through this thing with our daughter now. She doesn't want to become a sex worker, but as far as I know, I mean, I didn't talk about it with my dad before I did it. That was yeah. a decades later conversation. Well, I know she's not. She's not super. Now we're having these conversations about this is how she wants to dress, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to say, well, you, you may get unwanted attention, and she says, well, I've heard that, but that's the boys' problems. If this drives them nuts, that's their problem. I agree with her a hundred percent, and I will say this: one of the saddest things that I read uh, in the Harvey Weinstein scandal, right? Mm-hmm. As I was reading all of, all of the, the all of these stories was there was a woman, a young actress, who had heard the rumors, right, and wanted to protect herself. And she bought into this lie that what you wear helps determine how people treat you. Mm -hmm. And so she tried to dress frumpily in order to protect herself from a sexual predator. And, of course, it didn't work, right? I've been catcalled in in sweatpants and miniskirts. I've been... My, my thought, I'm just now beginning to start thinking about possibly having children. Like, so it, this feels like a very hypothetical future thing. But I hope that something that I can do for my daughters is when they go through that unself-aware phase, right? Where it's like the 11 to 16 or 17 where they're experimenting with, with looks is like, Wear the creepily slutty outfit now while I'm still picking you up and dropping you off from stuff so that we can talk about it because and, and figure out like what that is because it, it, it's not not a thing. But I, I, I want to stop telling young girls the lie that how they if they dress a certain way, then it justifies uh the the sexual harassment or negative sexual attention. That yeah, have. no, I I don't I don't say that it justifies it. I just say, look, we're living in a world mm-hmm. where it's reality check, and I mean, I know that everybody hates the not all men and not yeah, all yeah, white yeah. guys thing, but it's like, look, assholes are going to be assholes, and people yeah. who are not assholes are going to be not assholes. Yeah, and. You know, you want to wear that only affects what, the margins. That that's only the assholes are going to be affected about it, and yeah. and some of the assholes are not going to be. You know, the, yes, they're they're not. If you dress down, you're going to take them out of the game. That's possible. But also, the other question is, why do you even want to wear what you want to wear? Because the reason you want to wear that outfit is because you saw some celebrity wearing it, and the reason they're wearing it is they're trying to create that effect to take advantage of of the. the I think that's sexy and strong mean the same thing but we've chosen to demonize sexy and elevate strong when you describe a boy as strong right or you describe a girl as sexy you're kind of saying the same thing you're saying strong you're saying virile you're saying healthy you're often saying young Mm -hmm. right but for some reason we've decided that sexy is this dangerous negative 
thing that has to be stamped out because it could lead to bad yeah, things. Yeah, no, I don't. Whereas I don't. strength and the fetishization of strength is what leads to all the violent shit that we actually ought to be clamping down on. But that, yeah, that's... So wanna, wanting to be sexy want, is the most natural thing in the world. We want our daughters to all be like Beyonce. I feel like that's who you want. Yeah. This badass... She's sexy. ...person who owns their Yeah, shit. her body. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and less like and Britney that's Spears. The, that's the kind of... Yes, right. I get well, more like Madonna. Britney Spears also is a little bit... Yes, Madonna. More like Madonna, absolutely. less like Britney Spears, right? Because Madonna was like, this is what turns me on. And mm-hmm. Britney Spears is like, is this what turns you on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. the difference. But she's not going to get there until she discovers it for herself. No, she's got to do her own thing. She's yeah, and part do of doing thing. her own thing means making mistakes and going too far and doing it wrong mm-hmm. and, like, that whole that whole thing. I mean, how many 13-year-old boys do you have walking around with, like, just ludicrous outfits on because they're trying to... They're trying to show strength or status or other shit that they don't have yet because they don't have a driver's license. Here's what's going to happen to you. First of all, you should absolutely have kids. I, and I look forward to us you're gonna revisiting love these conversations. Second of all, you're going to have three boys in a row. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, <sighs> but, uh, yeah, I. it just is, uh, it's interesting to have a daughter and to see the world that she's in. And mm-hmm. so, now, I, are we? Are you in a hurry to go, or can yeah. we talk a little bit? Because I, because yeah, I have so many other things that I wanted to talk about, but I just wanted to talk just a little bit before I tell people. If you're listening to this and you haven't already subscribed or downloaded an episode of The Oldest Profession, then what is wrong? What right. do I got to do? <laughs> oh, so, and when you do that, please rate, review, and subscribe. The the rating and the reviewing, it really it really helps. Well, it helps draw more people to it. It's it, also yeah. the thing if that If you I, haven't rated and reviewed this, then yeah, you're also hurting you all of us. Yes, but also I'm, I'm, I'm compulsively hitting the refresh button, and it's uh, weird and creepy if there aren't more reviews to, to read. It, it feels well, help justified. Well, you can't go out. That's now you're addicted to endorphins. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk just because we've got the sexual harassment, uh, you know, the Harvey Weinstein thing is one thing, but then, you know... Yeah, the Louis C.K. is another. We've got right in our own little comedy world, we've got Louis C.K. I mean, you'd heard the rumors, right? I mean... I had heard the rumors. Of course, yeah. it's one thing to hear the rumors. Of course. And another thing to feel like, okay, these are who, these are who the yep. people who are the victims, and now yep. they're finally speaking out. Because as a person who's just heard rumors... I can't be you saying can't the names anything. of this. Here's the rumor I heard, and here's the per- victim yeah. I heard, and here's the, per- you know, you can't well, do anything. But it, now we can finally see what's going on. It it is it was and is frustrating for me because I feel like there's this very vague, uh, frustratingly like inactionable call to action. If that makes sense, of like we should have done better as a community, and it's like. You know, as a young female comic, was I supposed to walk up to Louis C.K. at the comedy cellar that I don't work at and confront him with secondhand rumors? Like, what what was I was I supposed to not go to a casting call because, like, like what what is the action? What's the call? What's the future that we want to see? Is really the the question that I ask. Is is like, it's going to be complicated. For what we want is for something like this to happen and then for there to be a way to can immediately I, feed back into the system yeah, and can stop I, it. Can I tell you what I wanted to see happen? And that like, and, and this is, this is true for me. Um, mm-hmm. and it's true for the, the story as I understand it. I don't think any of these women wanted 
Louis's show canceled, his movie premiere canceled, or any work taken away from him. They just wanted to be able to tell their story. Immediately after leaving his hotel room, they went downstairs and they did what every comic does. They talked about what happened to them and they laughed about it. And that's when they got shut down. That's when his manager threatened their career. That's when all of these male comics presented this wall of silence because as comics, we're allowed to talk about everything except the sins mm. of men against women in this industry. There's this weird, unjustifiable, and incomprehensible wall of silence around the sexual violence that men do to women in this industry in a field where we're supposed to be able to talk about everything. I don't think there needs to be any punitive anything. I think that we ought to just be able to talk about the things that happen to us without mm. this threat of like, oh, well, you better you better convict him in a court of law before you ruin his fucking life. It's like, no, I'm just going to well, talk about the shit that my peers did to me. And And what you're asking is so... It's That's so it. simple That's all and I it's want. so doable yes. and, and it's, and it is the solution. It's yes. just so simple that we can't all see it. Like it's bullshit. If these women could just come out of the room and say, do you know what just happened? I was just in a room with Louis yes. C.K. He whipped out his penis yes. and he masturbated. How so he fucked up is that? And, and if they could just talk about it on a podcast. Thing. And then everybody would talk about yes. it. Then Louis would go. And then maybe he would go, oh, this is weird. And then oh, would immediately yes. realize like. I yes. can't do that yes. because this is not a good, yes. this is not the picture of me I want in the That's world. That's exactly right. So, like, for example, when uh, when Louis, when Ari Shafir uh, gave Louis J. Gomez his apartment to live in with a brand new baby, all right, for free, because Ari, like, splits his time between L.A. and New York, and he was like, oh, you're a friend of mine, you got a baby and no money, move into my place for six months, try to get on your feet, you dumb fuck, right? Louis stole, like, $400 worth of Ari's weed. That's a dick move to do to a dude who's doing you a fucking favor. Yes. What did they do? They talked about it on podcasts. They joked about it. They all moved on. They're still friends. Right? It was like a check on each other's behavior. Yeah. Right? Whereas if I say so-and-so grabbed my crotch at the comedy cellar while he was in a blackout, there's a, shh, you can't say that. He's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his work. Well, He's going to lose all of his shit. You can't say that. You can't talk about that. I'm like, well, he fucking did it. So why is this my responsibility? I I, I do like your solution, and and as we were just talking about it, it would it seems like it's an effective quick circuit to curtail the behavior. And I think that's hopefully, what's happening. We're all coming out of the woodwork and talking. Hopefully, our that's what's going to happen. Is going to curtail the behavior. But then also, you got to you got to say, look, I'm not the person who got their pussy grabbed. I'm not the person who was in the room where the person was jerking off. So I mean, maybe, I am the person that got my pussy grabbed. I no, am the know, person that got fucked in the blackout. Case, in, in this I am the, you no, know, no, 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 yeah, yeah. no, I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. No, it's cool. I wasn't talking about in you. In this Me Too moment. No, I was talking about. Look, I can't say. Look, if we all just listen to this story, it's going to be over because some of those women who were in that room may feel no, that's not enough. Sure, it's not enough for people to know about this and him not to do it in the future. I need to have more satisfaction or punishment for myself now. So sure. that's what I was trying to yeah, say. No, totally. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to yeah, minimize yeah, yeah. But like, th that's, that's, um, I mean, and that's for every individual. I mean, like, you know, Ari could have chosen to have Lewis, you know, uh, excommunicated from the scene or uh, prosecuted for thievery or, you know, some other thing, but instead they, they worked it out. But I think that within, you know, there's no HR department in comedy and I don't think that having an HR department serves us well. Well, and if people, 
to to switch to get it off of our personal situation yeah. to to go into the Harvey Weinstein thing. If people had been able to just say out loud initially what this guy was up yeah. to, this creepy behavior, and it got out into the light of day, and was like, "This is what he's doing," I, I think realistically he yeah. may have he may have cut that shit out. He may have cut that shit out, but it's it's interesting because like light of day, it's like everyone knows and nobody knows, right? Because I well felt because the of the same suppression, way. because yeah. of like what you're saying, the suppression yeah. of the rumor. It's like I just heard a rumor, but it's there's a difference between. Me hearing from someone else that mm-hmm. a woman that I don't know but was in, right. I do know was in that situation had something happen to. There's a difference between that and me hearing that woman is saying this. Yes. And, you know, I do, I do hear that, that, that there's a real problem with a lot of people believing that, you know, that we have to believe. I, I don't have a problem with that. I believe people when they say this I, shit I like understand. that. I understand that it's a boys club. I understand that most of our allegiances tend to lie with, like... I'm going to believe my friends over some peripheral acquaintances. But the reality of the boys club of comedy is that women never really feel like within some circles in comedy, never are really a part of the club. It doesn't matter how long they're hanging out. It doesn't matter how funny they are. It doesn't matter how many credits they get. It's there's still a girl at the boys table instead of being a comic at the comics table. And that's, do you feel like that? I do. All the time? No, among certain circles that I've stopped hanging out with. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, and it was a, and it was a real problem because there was a lot of predatory behavior there. And I thought that I was a part of the group. You know, and when is... I started talking about it, I realized that I wasn't fucking part of the group. And I got iced out immediately. Well, this is the other thing that I think... I thought I'd built up enough trust among my friends uh-huh. that... Like, that they knew me to be the kind of person that wouldn't make up stories like that. But instead, I f- ran into this this narrative wall where women lie about that sort of shit because... Oh, you heard guys say no that f- to you? Yes. Um, you know, this is, the, this, is, this is where I think... I mean, I really try and listen and not talk because also I'm older so I'm not a person who is actively in this kind of situation yeah. really um, and so I'm more of the guy who my first instinct is I hear someone talking about how awful things are and I do want to say not all guys yeah, of course. and I think what of that's course. coming from is we all are perceiving the world from our point of view and yes. we're all assuming that everyone else is perceiving the world from a similar point of view yeah. to us and I, I just I just kind of it, it it's interesting as a guy because obviously I don't see sexism because it's never pointed at me right because I'm a guy right right and I don't see racism because I'm a white guy and so then when I do see racism I'm like fucking You're shocked and horrified. I know and I know what side I'm on yeah and I feel like now is the time for us all to stop looking at the obvious way to pick sides mm-hmm. is like sexism the victims of sexism are women so the perpetrators are 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 men and the victims of racism are sure. non-white people so the perpetrators are all white people and it's like we really all need to stand up and listen to the victims and yeah but also victims women black people tra- we're also people 
and people are flawed and multifaceted and complicated. And I think that one of the problems with this conversation is that we have turned it into a black and white victim versus villain conversation. And we've lost a lot of the, the, the context um, of how these relationships work. Like, so one of the silencing um, tactics that, that I've brushed up against is this, um, you know, artificial or black and white um, elevation of the stakes where it's like, I have to decide whether somebody belongs in a cage for what they did to me or nothing bad happened. When in reality, there is a, a huge swath of area of, of, you know, territory where it's like, hey, dude, that wasn't okay. I got hurt. And also, you're not a monster, you know? Yeah, but let's like, yeah. fix it. How do we fix it? How we, do we fix it? We have it? to be able to talk about it without it being emergency 100% of the time, mm. right? So, like, we have to be able to say, uh, Louis C.K. whipped his dick out. It made me real fucking uncomfortable. Isn't that ridiculous? Without having it be a call to arms to take everything he ever built away from him. Well, definitely, when you... Just the spectrum of at least what we know right now, when you look at Bill Cosby and you look at Louis C.K., those are two very different Yes, scenarios. and they're both wrong, but they're not the same. But they're not but the same. But we don't have to pretend that just because... And I'm not what, trying to... No, of course not. Of course, of course you're defend, not. I'm not trying and, to defend and, anybody. And I'm just trying to... It's ludicrous that you feel that you have to defend yourself from that line of argument. I can hear it now. Rape apologist! You're just taking... I, 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 I understand the echo chamber that you're afraid of, I, as a, I mean, I, I guess I hate the word, but let's use the word victim, am afraid of the same chorus because I don't want my experience misconstrued. I don't want to take a single professional opportunity that the person that hurt me, like, I don't want, that they, I don't want to take a single professional opportunity that they've earned away from them. I just want to be able to talk about what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And I can't do that right now. Because You still feel like you can't now. I can't do it. Mm-mm. Boy, I feel like it's getting more and more possible. So hopefully, no, I feel like I know exactly what would happen. That they would, they'd be, uh, you know, like I think that I would be believed, and I think that they would, ha they would lose a lot of opportunities, and I think that I would be justifiably blamed for mm. taking those opportunities you're, now away you're from him. The unintended consequence, and that, right? And that's not what I wanted. I just wanted to be able to talk about what happened to me. It's which pretty feels weird. very basic. It's pretty weird, isn't it? Because. A year ago, the fear is not being believed. You know, I'm not going to be believed, and I'm going to get punished. And now you're now, now what you're saying you're afraid is, is I don't want to accidentally get somebody crucified. Right. I just want to talk about what some happened. shit that was wrong. Yes, and it yeah. was wrong, and I did get hurt. Well, I'm not going to ask you yeah. about it because I know you don't want to talk about it right, <laughs> right? now. Because yeah, and I do, and I, I get I why think, you don't want to. I think to. that people can be righteously and reasonably hurt by people that they don't want to crucify. And I think that that's... Like, because, like, we're all... Tegnataro calls us, you know, the, the land of, of broken toys, right? I mean, like, mm. we're, we're all figuring this shit out and hurting each other and doing this stuff, but we've taken this, this precious thing and created this weird wall of silence around it. And I think a lot of it has to do with, like, the cowardice... Um, and discomfort of, of men. You know, if you're looking at a field that's 80% male and they just don't want to talk about how 
you know, their a huge chunk of their seduction techniques are predatory. Like they've mm. they've enforced that that code of silence. Yeah. Well, as a guy, I don't, I can't defend us. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Yeah. One of the most infuriating things for me as a comic has been that the res- the response, which we get all the time, is, "What did you think was going to happen when you went back to his hotel room?" And I'm like, "No, comics hang out with other comics. That's that's oh, just it a thing all the that time. happens." Oh God, right. I I read someone else's thing about that. It's just like, look, this is it's obvious that mm-hmm. it's that it's it's. I mean, that's like the flip side of like, look. You can't be not all men, and then you go all men. Right. It and can't that, be not all yes. men and all men. And it, it's, and, it can't and it, be. Look, not all guys are rapists, but if you go back to somebody's hotel room, you and get you raped. don't expect to get fucked, then like that's on you. Yeah, and it's it, pretty ridiculous. It's it, that, and then it's also um, it's interesting to me. Like I think like, Kumia tweeted this. He's like, "Why does it continue to shock women that we want to fuck you?" And I'm like, why does it continue to shock men that we have other interests just like they do? Like, but that guy, he sure he's sometimes he's got he's some part, insights, but he's, part he's of an also echo chamber, and he's also part of an outrage, you know, mm-hmm. outrage guy. Like I want to say the most outrageous thing because that's how I get attention. Sure. That's how you like Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter is a shocking person. Sure, but the, I just either she's an. I, I don't think she's an idiot, and I don't think she, she believes half no, the stuff she says. I just don't even listen to her anymore because I think she's, she such, she's I, ridiculous. Ann Coulter, I, I, um, Coulter came on Race Wars a couple of times when I was still on there, and like they, she came she, on what Race Wars, the podcast that uh-huh. that, uh, that I was on for a while, and she <laughs> Race she, Wars. Yeah, I got to get out of the house more. <laughs> she's um, she's very smart. She's got a kind of glow in the dark charisma. Where kind of like the second I met her, I wanted her to like me very much immediately. Like that's just like that's just the energy that she sort of like has. Um, but she struck me as a very well trained defense attorney who was spending all of her intellectual energy justifying um, an indefensible racist position. So she's taken all the evidence that she sifted through and focused on fifteen percent of it. And then used it to construct a compelling argument for her to buttress up what would other be like a cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. So that that, but I, I think she believes what she's saying. I think she's wrong, and I think she's very smart. I think like, all of those things are true at the same time. Yeah, if that makes sense. Kind of. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think we were going to wind up on Ann. Coulter. I'm sorry. I didn't think we were going to end up on Ann Coulter. <laughs> anyway, I think. Oh, God, now I feel like this conversation, we've kind of gone off of what we were going to do originally. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I just really enjoy talking to you, Caitlin. But I think we've talked a long time. Oh, no, we've gone, have we gone too far? Well, we've gone a pretty long time. And you're, oh, my, yeah, my boyfriend is probably probably starving. We're going to go to lunch. So listen, I'm going to do, what can we say in closing besides listen to the old pro podcast? Please do that. Please rate it and review it. Rate and review this. Read this. Yeah. Um, Don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. And uh, what other piece of advice do you have? Um, I mean, for sex work or comedy. I mean, it's, I think... One of each. Let's yeah, do one okay. of each. Yeah, I mean, I think for both, it's, uh, you know, don't let anyone else tell you how it's supposed to be done. You get to you get to decide you're the author of your own life, you know? So you set your own boundaries and you decide what you want to do and don't let anyone get in the way of doing that. But like they say in Hill Street Blues, 
Let's be careful out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be careful out there. All right. Thanks, everybody.